When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Ned Keating. I'm joined today by Joe Christian of the Daily Express to run them all over what was another packed Premier League weekend of action. Joe, Ordinarily, any weekend, there would be no other place to start than Liverpool-Manchester United. Of course, this weekend being no different at all. That result, uh, a phenomenal result, one that definitely no one expected. I mean, I'm going to let the listeners in on a bit of a, a, a trade secret here. Um, I was kind of plotting and thinking about, you know, kind of, oh, what happens if this happens in the game if Liverpool win 2-0? We'll talk about this. If this happens, we'll talk about that. Quite frankly, and, and, and to be fair, if anyone did predict a 7-0 win, fair play to you. But yeah, I wasn't expecting to be coming on this morning to be talking about such a result, such a sizable win, a massive margin of victory for Liverpool. Um, and I think even for us, for, for those that aren't Liverpool fans, that aren't Manchester United fans, there's still that state of shock at, at this result happening and, and how that game unfolded, especially after what was a fairly tight opening first 40 minutes or so. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anyone expected that kind of result, um, especially between two sides that are probably different in terms of form. You know, Manchester United came into that game, certainly the better side in terms of the form in 2023 um, and the league position as well. So I don't think anyone expected maybe United to even lose, but by that margin, um, actually, apart from Graham Sooners, who you know, predicted a Liverpool win before the kickoff, which is fair enough, but I don't think he, he predicted a 7-0. And when you look at the players involved, like Casemiro, Alessandro Martinez, Marcus Rashford, they've all been exceptional for Man United this season. To see them perform to such a low level in the second half especially was a huge surprise. Um, I just think they lacked the fight that Liverpool had. Um, you know, the fans were behind them. And, and certainly that for, for Manchester United, this was a huge huge disappointment and you could see that with the way Eric Ten Hag responded so you know I think obviously United performed well uh, in big matches this season so for, to, for them to capitulate like this was a big surprise to me but it can happen to any team as we all know um, Barcelona were crushed 8-2 by Bayern Munich with Messi in their team so I think what's important now is for United is, uh, is their response really you mentioned about the fight and, and the kind of desire in that Manchester United team. And, and on our Thursday show last week, which of course you can listen back to if you find it on us on the Spotify, and of course watch the episode back on, on YouTube as well. I was I was hosting it and I was sat on there and I was praising Manchester United for their kind of, that that there, that that fight, that desire. You know, they showed it against Barcelona in the Europa League. They showed it against West Ham in the FA Cup. And I was kind of thinking, you know, has this Man United side really turned the corner? And, and the work then, had they turned the corner? that Eric Ten Hag has put into, you know, kind of improving their mindset, their mentality and everything and what a job he had done. But Sunday, as you 
said there, you know, especially in the second half and the way that some of the players as well, you know, once they, it was quite clear that they were going to lose and lose quite heavily, the way that they lost their heads, they were quite ill-disciplined. It, it looked like a return to kind of, you know, the bad old days of last season for Manchester United where you're kind of wondering, are they ever going to get back to where they were? We know that, you know, they have the talent and they've shown that under Ten Hag and, and of course, you know, this is all reactionary and we're probably looking a bit too much into it, but just the mentality and how they accepted that that manner of, you know, they they just crumbled really yesterday. There's, there's no other word for it. They they folded mentally and that's surely got to be a concern for Eric Ten Hag for all the good work that he's done so far this season that there still is that, you know, capitulation, that mental frailty that still exists within this squad. Yeah, I think you, you got it spot on there. I don't think um, Eric Ten Hag was very happy with what he saw, uh, as you'd expect, but the fact that he labelled you know, the Manchester United players unprofessional three times in his post-match interview said a lot to me. I think you can you can question a player's performance, but when you're questioning their mentality and their approach to the game, I think that is uh, it's below the belt in terms of how a player would receive that criticism. Um, and certainly, you know, it would hurt them for their area manager to turn on them like that Obviously, he then quickly turned around and said, you know, I believe the score can turn it around. Um, but certainly there will be some question marks as to whether United have this med- mental fragility still um, in terms of, you know, when it comes to uh, going a couple go- goals down in a game, do they then just completely collapse? Because we saw that happen against Brentford when they lost 4-0. Um, I don't think it's quite as bad maybe as last last season where there was an absence of any desire really to try and turn, you know, a nil-nil into a win or, you know, when they go one-nil down, try and fight back. We've seen them this season plenty of times come back from a losing position or a drawing position and turn it into valuable points. Um, but certainly I think there are question marks, they're valid question marks about the players themselves and maybe Ten Hag needs to have a good look at, you know, which players he thinks, yeah, you're definitely my guys, you know, and I'd say Casemiro falls into that, Sandro Martinez, maybe Diogo Dallo, but then other and obviously Rashford, but other than that, can you really say there's, you know, too many others that would be safe right now, you know, at Manchester United next season? I think, he might look at that squad and say, well, there are some players that I don't regard as pure winners. And certainly, you know, in that game yesterday, there are some characters that could be questioned. I think the big one for me was Bruno Fernandes, the way he turned on his teammate. And, and Gary Neville called him a disgrace um, for doing so. So it's not the first time we've seen Fernandes at the centre of a of a United catastrophe. So... I don't know. I think uh, for United, it's a mere anomaly in what has been an otherwise impressive season, especially for Ten Hag, the way he's turned things around. Um, It would be interesting to see how they react. I certainly think yesterday laid bare, you know, what this squad needs to really become a force again. You know, Liverpool really exposed that. Uh, as ever, we do love getting comments in on the show as we're uh, recording it live. We do have one here from uh, Arada Christopher saying that uh, fatigue uh, and the fact that United have had such a busy schedule uh, may have affected them. Um, also suggesting that Eric Tenar made some uh, selection errors perhaps yesterday. We'll, we'll flick it now for the other uh, the other team in this and, and we'll give some praise towards Liverpool because you know, throughout the season they've probably had more criticism than praise given their high levels and what we've come to expect from them. 
Um, but yes, in the second half in particular, it looked like a return to the old days for Liverpool. You know, kind of whenever they get the ball and they're into an opposition half, you expected them to score. And, and towards the end of the second half, that was how that game went. For Liverpool and for their journey that they're on at the minute and, and where they're trying to go to, um, you know, this must be a big milestone for them. And, and they must look at this now as kind of, right, you know, I know they've had some good results in recent weeks. Obviously, a good team to win at Newcastle, despite the fact that they didn't probably didn't play that well. But, you know, a, a win is a good result. Um, you know, and they're kind of looking like they're starting to pick up a bit of form, a bit of momentum. I know, obviously, they had that, that result against Real Madrid in the Champions League. But in the league, at least, you know, they're kind of closing in on that top four. This looks like this should hopefully be that kind of big first big milestone for this team as they look to kind of get back to where they once were. Um, and for Darwin Nunes and Cody Gakpo especially, you know, they've not had the easiest of starts to life at Anfield. Uh, but for, for both of them to get braces yesterday will we'll do their confidence the wonder of good. No, absolutely right. And I think you, you nailed it there when you said that this looked like the Liverpool of old. You know, they were devastating and clinical up front. And I think when you look at the golden era under Klopp, what epitomised their, you know, the way they played was that three-man attack of Salah, Mane and Firmino. Now, obviously, only Salah remains from that. But I think there were definitely echoes of, of how those three used to destroy, like, opposition defences. Um, you know, the way that they made Luke, Luke Shaw and Martinez and Dallow look fairly ordinary yesterday. I think they'll be embarrassed with some of the things that happened in that game. Uh, it was was remarkable. And I think that front three now, you know, beforehand, there were questions asked about whether Gakpo could handle the transition to the, from the, um, the Eredivisie to the Premier League. And, you know, Darwin Nunez, does he have that uh, finisher instinct amongst all the other things he has, you know, the pace and, and um, the determination. And I think that yesterday sent a clear message to them that this is the front three that can propel Liverpool back to the big time after a, a small dip, let's say. Um, and yeah, I think for Liverpool, this is a clear sign that they're back on track. You know, they had some problems with their midfield, which I think that Jurgen Klopp has solved with um, the deployment of Stefan Bicetic. You know, he's really given them a bit of uh, drive in midfield, you know, the box-to-box role. Jordan Henderson's been playing well. Fabinho is up to his level. Um, you know, there's the, things are starting to tick now for Liverpool. And obviously the return of Virgil van Dijk has brought some defensive solidity at the back. They've had some luck, I guess, in, in recent weeks. But, you know, that Newcastle win, they're already 2-0 up before Nick Pope got sent off. And obviously, you know, from there on, that was going to be a win for them. Um, so I think the Premier League is starting to give them some relief after what happens the Champions League as well. Um, and certainly, you know, I never discounted Liverpool from producing some kind of turnaround because they are Liverpool. They've got one of the best coaches in the world under Jurgen Klopp. You know, they've got some of the best players in the world who may be past their peak, but they're still top players. And I think on their day, you know, we know that Liverpool can beat any side in the Premier League in the world, maybe. And I think they proved that. Um, It'll be interesting to see now if they can go on a real run and close the gap to the top four because, you know, there's still a lot of games to, to be played this season. And I, I think they'll, they'll definitely be in contention to do that, um, maybe for fourth place. I don't know if they can catch United, but certainly uh, Klopp will be delighted with what he saw yesterday. 
Yeah, and the goal difference getting a nice boost too if it, if it ever comes down to that. I'm sure it'd be delighted. Plus the, the 9 0 against Bournemouth earlier in the season. So, yeah, goal difference definitely probably in Liverpool's favour for this one. Um, just finally on the match um, yesterday, and probably looking a bit ahead now for Manchester United, if you're Eric Ten Hag, their next game being against uh, Ralph Batiste in the Europa League on Thursday. Joe, if you're Eric Ten Hag, do you name that same 11 and tell them to go out and do a dance site better than they did on Sunday? Or do you look at ringing the changes and perhaps looking at other players? You know, how, how, do, you, how do you manage this if you're Eric Ten Hag? Do you look for a, a response from those that played so badly on Sunday and led to that 7-0 disaster? Or do you give a chance to some others to kind of say they didn't take their opportunity when they had it? It's now down to you. Go and, go and earn that shirt and make sure that I don't take it off your back for the next game. I think it would be quite a show of faith at this point from Ten Hag to stick with that same eleven, um, And obviously, let, let's not forget the fact that at halftime it was 1-0. So it's not to say that, you know, in that first 45 minutes they played badly. But I think after a defeat like that, you need to ring in the changes and prove to the players who underperformed that it's not good enough and, and give a chance to those who have been left out, like Harry Maguire's, Jaden Sancho, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, players who've shown they can do a job for United this season, that, you know, this is your chance now to impress me. The others have let me down and this is your chance. And I think in an Europa League where you know, they have two tyres to, to get the job done and Old Trafford. I think it would be the right time to introduce a few changes and maybe take some players like Bruno Fernandes and Tini, um out of the firing line because clearly they were nowhere near their best uh, yesterday. But certainly, you know, it is an opportunity for United to, to get back onto the right track. And certainly in the Europa League, they have proved to be very uh, astute, especially at home, they've been... Um, devastating in front of goal and I think <laughs> introducing a few changes would show that you know this is the level I expect you know from Ten Hag um, and I think he was quite damning with his criticism of some of the players in that in the post-match interview yesterday so I don't think he'll be especially feeling too loyal towards those to let him down um, and certainly obviously some of the substitutes that came on yesterday didn't perform either I think you know, Marcel Savic still wasn't, wasn't great in the midfield. Sticking with the European theme this morning, um, we're going to be looking at Chelsea and Tottenham in Champions League action. We'll start off with Chelsea first, because um, obviously they played on the Tuesday, they played first uh, in, in that kind of way, way of things going. Um, Joe, in terms of the weekend and their result and how things went on, how do we think that that's going to help Chelsea in this stage in the Champions League against Borussia Dortmund and, and where they're looking to overcome, uh, obviously, that deficit from the first leg? A nice morale boost and victory for the Blues at the weekend, for sure, going into this one. Um, and obviously, that's that's kind of what you want, especially after what had gone before and a, and a difficult run of results that they're now kind of, you know, they have something in the bank. They've got something to refer back to, um, you know, even if it was only one that went over a relegation threat inside that they can kind of look ahead to this game and kind of say, well, we know what it's like to win again. Let's go and do it again midweek against Dortmund. Yeah, I mean, you can never under, underestimate the uh, the value of three points and, and what that can do to a team in the season, especially how Chelsea have been so poor over the last two or three months. I mean, you know, as a suffering Chelsea fan, you know, it's been <laughs> um, disastrous to hear what's been going on. 
Um, and to see what's been going on at the club, uh, you know, as Graham Potter struggles, but, you know, that 1-0 win could be all that Chelsea need to, re- like, kickstart their season because, you know, it wasn't just the three points that they needed. It was the goal as well after going four games without scoring. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's definitely a, a chance for these Chelsea players now to draw a line on the, what's happened before and, and really produce a good performance against Dortmund. Jude Billingham, someone that we have uh, you know don't get to see much of um, over here because obviously he's playing in the Bundesliga and, and kind of hopefully we can kind of see him deliver a performance that, that kind of not justifies the hype. We know that he's got the hype and that he's doing really, really well. Um, but for sure, in terms of what he can deliver and what he can bring, I know you're probably quite excited to see Jude Billingham up close and personal as well. You know, probably hopefully he doesn't have too good a game, but that means that Chelsea go out in the Champions League. But Whenever he comes up against an English side, there's always that kind of added element, that added bonus of, of getting to see him, how he might perform. Um, you know, we've seen it. Dortmund always seems to draw Manchester City, don't they? The group stages. So we've seen that plenty of times and he always seems to set his game up against them. Um, you know, it's it's wonderful just to see this player grow and, and develop. And, and you know, from your side, you're probably hoping, like I said, it's probably not too good a performance from him uh, against Chelsea as a Chelsea fan. But uh, it, it just kind of adds another layer of excitement and especially when we're expecting to perhaps move to the Premier League uh, in, in the summer. Yeah, with Jude Bellingham, obviously it's a, a massive chance for him to prove, not well, I don't think he's really got much to prove really in terms of his talent, but certainly it's a chance for him to show Liverpool and Manchester City, you know, the teams reportedly interested in signing him that, you know, this is a chance for him to really lay down a mark in the Champions League with a, a statement performance against Chelsea. I think in the first leg, because Chelsea dominated most of the possession and maybe the chances as well, um, we didn't really see the best of Bellingham. But I think, you know, he, we know his ability as a centre midfielder, you know, box to box. There's not many weaknesses in this game. You know, he can run the ball. He can pass players in. I watched um, Dortmund versus Leipzig at the weekend uh, just to see, you know, how Dortmund were performing. Certainly, you can see why this team have won 10 in a row and Bellingham is the metronome in that team. You know, he keeps them ticking over. Some of the passes that he was playing, you know, it looked like he was 28, 29. You forget this guy is still a teenager. Um, and certainly during the World Cup, we saw just how crucial he can be to a team, especially in that setup in the 4 3 3. So Chelsea will have a big job trying to keep him quiet, obviously. And Enzo Fernandez probably will be tasked with, you know, trying to shut him down and cutting out the passing lanes. Um, you know, Matej Kovacic potentially as well, if he's fit. I don't think Ngole Kante is going to be back, but certainly it will be down to Chelsea to limit Bellingham's influence because I think if you stop him, you really do limit Dortmund's creativity, especially in the final third. Um, and that will be probably the key plan for, for Graham Potter if he is to get a positive result from this game. Switching to another London team um, that are in Champions League action this week. Um, Tottenham, my beloved Tottenham. This is this is cracking, isn't it? How things fall out. We've got a Chelsea fan to talk about the Chelsea game and now we've got a Tottenham fan to kind of be miserable about our chances against AC Milan. Uh, any regular listeners will know that. So that I'm probably quite a pessimistic Spurs fan. Um, but Joe, in terms of Spurs, I think, you know, the kind of, the, the best way to sum them up in recent weeks, probably this season in general, maddeningly inconsistent. Um, you look at the results and, you know, kind of, you know, obviously, you know, and I'm not crying over this, but obviously beat Chelsea last week, 
have beaten Man City in recent weeks um, as well. Beat West Ham, um, you know, traditionally a difficult game for us at, at, at home. Um, we don't think it's like the best record since we moved to the new stadium against West Ham, but we've got a win against them. And then we'll go and lose in, you know, heavily at Leicester. We'll lose to Sheffield United in the FA Cup and we'll lose um, at Wolves and play atrociously at the weekend as well. Um, the quality's there, but for some reason it, it seems, you know, kind of hit and miss as to whether or not Spurs can can dig this out. And they'll need to find that quality if they are to get past AC Milan and, and overturn that 1-0 deficit like Chelsea hopefully will do on Tuesday, overturn that 1-0 deficit and get through to the, uh, to the quarterfinals. Yeah, and certainly that first leg, did throw up some problems for sure. Um, I think in attack for certain, for certain uh, Spurs didn't quite click. You know, Harry Kane had one of his quietest games, I think, for some time, apart from one chance maybe that, you know, he had. Um, certainly in that game, the two best midfield players were the midfielders, uh, Oliver Skip and Pepe Matosar. Um, So that would have pleased Conte because he put a lot of faith in them to do the job. Um, I don't expect both of them to play in the second leg because you've got you've got Hoiberg back in contention, and he's such a key player for for Tottenham in terms of the energy he provides, you know, the aggression, and I think carrying out Conte's game plan really, you know, that that those two themes are really central to to what the Italian tries to do, um, and obviously yes, the form has been poor of, of late, I think. You know, with the Premier League, for for example, you know, Chelsea, the performance against Chelsea was exactly what Tottenham would have wanted. You know, they were defensively solid. Everyone worked for each other. They they frustrated Chelsea and then they pro- uh, produced, you know, two clinical moments uh, in front of goal. Um, then, you know, you have the, the performance against Wolves, which was the complete opposite. You know, lots of wasted chances. And then obviously, I think defensively for the goal, uh, you know, Forster could have done better. Defenders are standing there like statues, you know. It's not, I, I can see why Tottenham fans feel pessimistic ahead of this game because it, obviously it's in front of their stadium, you know, there should be a great atmosphere inside the stadium. But certainly Conte's, you know, uh, illness at the moment maybe destabilise the squad maybe a bit. You know, one game it's Christian Stellini in the dugout, then it's him. You know, who's actually leading these instructions, I think, I don't, you know, I, certainly I think when Cellini's been in the dugout, they've looked better. So I think that kind of answers the question whereby is it really time for, for Antonio Conte to step aside? But, you know, certainly I can understand the pessimism heading into this game because, you know, even Harry Kane's not at his best level at the moment. Son Kim Min's not at his best level. Richardson still hasn't scored in the league. You know, two goals all season. So... You wonder where those goals are going to come from. Um, but certainly if Tottenham could re- repeat those performances, you know, against Chelsea and in some ways against Milan, you know, they weren't too bad, but, you know, I think uh, they can certainly look about progress because one goal, you know, is not a lot to, to overturn, especially with no away goals anymore. Yeah, for sure. Fing- fingers crossed that Spurs can to get out there. But you raised a, a point about Conte there and, and kind of... Um... Obviously, his future's kind of been discussed quite heavily ahead of this game. I, I suppose if no matter what Italian side it was, I'm sure that that kind of would have would have sprung up because, of course, there's always reports in uh, in in the Italian media suggesting that he wants to return to his homeland. Uh, contract is up with Spurs at the end of the season. There is a clause in place um, for for him to be able to extend that, or for Spurs to be able to extend that, um, should they so wish. But I kind of wonder, and, and again, you know, yourself being a Chelsea fan, you're probably quite well placed to to say this. 
there's probably echoes of, of what you saw in the last few months of, of contact Stamper Bridge that you might be seeing at, at Tottenham now, you know, in terms of how he's handling himself in the media, what he's saying, they, you know, those kind of actions and, and kind of what Chelsea fans saw before he eventually left Stamper Bridge. Are, are we seeing that repeated at Tottenham now? Do we think, you know, that this is a marriage that's ultimately going to come to an end in the summer? And if it is going to come to an end in the summer, should Spurs perhaps look at maybe ending it prematurely now if they do go out of the Champions League and kind of try and find if their ideal target is out there and available right now to, to give them a few months to assess this squad to then go into the summer window in perhaps a better position? <laughs> or am I looking far too much into this? No, I think you're, you're spot on in terms of weighing up whether Conte could leave. I think at this moment it's more likely than, than not because I think last season there was definitely a clamour from the, from the fan base for Conte to stay. Um, because of you know how the team was performing, I think now the fans are not really seeing that those performances delivered by the team. You know the football is uninspiring, the results are you know inconsistent, and certainly obviously what Conte said at the start of the season. You know I'm not getting the players I want and things like this. It's, it's a lot hard to justify when the players you do sign you don't actually end up playing. You know Pedro Porro has been on the bench quite a few times since he's already joined. And Emerson Royale obviously has kept him out of the side probably on merit because he'd been playing well. Um, but certainly, you know, you look at Richarlison, £60 million and he scored twice all season. I think that move hasn't really worked out so far. Um, so you, you have to maybe side with the Spurs board a little bit and say, well, is, you know, is Conte justified in asking for all these transfers? Some of them have worked out. Kulisevsky and Benton Clover being decent players, but I think there's definitely an absence of Conte's uh, tactics and motivations having a, a genuine effect on this Spurs team. Maybe they do need some fresh impetus to take them to the next level now because I think they stopped the rot that was happening under Nuno Espirito Santo. Those were dire days. I think regardless of how bad things have been under Conte, it's not quite at that level. So I think, you know, they have taken that step. But certainly, you know, you can't have a manager who classifies himself as a winner and asking for £200 million in backing, not actually winning anything, not really showing any proper sign of progress. Um, so I think, yes, to answer a long-winded question, I, I think um, Conte will go at the end of the season. I don't think it would benefit Tottenham from him leaving now because that would destabilise a lot of things that he's already built. And this squad is certainly tuned to how he wants it with the wing backs and you know the front three so I think if, if you were to get rid of him they'd still his successor would probably still be saying playing the same players same formation it's just a case of preparing for when that goodbye eventually comes because I think it will happen at the end of the season and I think they'll have to get in a, a more proactive playing manager you know one that plays football that excites the fans can get those results and really challenge for silverware after, you know, 15 years of hurt. Sorry for mentioning that. It's all right. I'll just go and cry afterwards. Um, but just finally, before we go this morning, uh, we've already touched on one uh, side of the rugby league action in Manchester United, so I suppose it's only fair to touch on the other one uh, in Arsenal. Uh, back in European action, um, Joe, a lot's been kind of said beforehand that before this game, uh, Arsenal were away to sport in Lisbon on Thursday, that... The return to kind of Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday for Arsenal could disrupt their title challenge. And I suppose as well, for Arsenal, 
you know, their, their focus is probably, I'm not suggesting for a second that they're going to throw the Europa League. Their squad is more than talented. The reserve team is more probably more than talented to, to kind of still go deep in this competition. But if it comes to it, what one is Mikel Arteta going to prioritise and it's going to be the Premier League over, over the Europa League, which may end up backfiring if they don't go on to win the Premier League title. This is a competition that Arsenal probably have the squad to challenge for. You know, you look at who's left in it, Juventus, Manchester United, Arsenal. They, those will probably be the, the big three that you're looking at to go deep in this competition. And you kind of wonder if, if Mikel Arteta ends up putting all of his eggs in the Premier League basket. If that doesn't work out, will he will he read the opportunity of, of winning perhaps a piece of silverware? We've seen, you know, we could we could probably see Man United now building and building. I know I know it sounds funny that, you know, we come from winning that first piece of, of silverware, they're going to lose seven nil. But you know, this idea that when you get that first bit of trophy, that that first trophy, it adds to that hunger. You want more. You don't go, oh, I've won one and that's it. You you kind of add to that hunger and it doesn't matter where it comes from. And if it does end up being Europa League for Arsenal, it could be a good opportunity. You kind of it's a tough balancing act for for Mikel Arteta from now until the end of the season. It is a tough balancing act because, you know, the squad these days is stretched quite thin. And I think Arsenal do have good depth now, especially after the, the January transfer window. You know, they brought in Jorginho, Jacob Kivior and um, DeAndre Trossard. Those are three signings that, while you wouldn't expect all three to be automatic starters, they're certainly good enough to come in and do a job in the game, especially against Sporting Lisbon. I think, obviously, they're one of the top teams in Portugal and shouldn't be underestimated. They've got a good coach um, in Ruben Amarim. But I think, uh, certainly... Uh, it's difficult for, for, for Mikel Arteta to, to balance both, but I think certainly the Premier League has to be a priority. I think it'd be, be a bit different if he hadn't already won a trophy, but they won the FA Cup in 2020. So I think for him, you know, that has to be the main goal. And where he can, he has to give his side, you know, players like Bukayo Saka, um, Ben White, you know, Aaron Ramsdale, maybe even just a, a little bit of a Rex, just to keep him fresh for for when the title running comes, because Arsenal haven't been in this position before, and they're really going to need those players to be fit and firing for those for the key matches coming up. You know, you've got Manchester City still to come; that's a big game. Um, and I think, yeah, so obviously it's going to be a difficult tie in in Lisbon for Arsenal. I think if you'd expect them to come away with a narrow win. Uh, even with a few changes, maybe bringing Trossard. Uh, obviously, he got injured um, at the weekend. Certainly, you know, there's players like Eddie Nketiah. Is he going to be fit? Gabriel Jesus coming back in a couple of weeks. Um, you can bring in Jorginho for this kind of game and give Thomas Pass a rest. You know, so I think Arteta has the squad to balance both. But certainly, there, there will be emphasis on putting the Premier League as, as his priority for sure. Joe, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time as always. Of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest from the Champions League, Europa League, Premier League and everything else in between across the Mirror, Daily Star and Daily Express websites. But for now, it's goodbye.